winter. Hello and welcome to the tenth of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gomatra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, we talk to Zelda Sawyer of Dervig. Zelda, born in Australia and raised in England, has lived in the village for the last 40-odd years. For many years, Zelda ran a craft shop from her home on the main street of Dervig. She was also a key figure in the little theatre, running the box office from her front room, amongst many other duties. In this conversation, we chat about her life on Mull, her working life away, her childhood memories and memories of local artists, characters and the glory days of Mull Little Theatre under the Hesketh family. Today finds me sitting in my car on Bernary, waiting for the ferry to Harris. After a week of storms, today is remarkably calm and bright. I'll be back at the end to say a couple more things and round off. To start our conversation off, we discuss one of the more important matters in life. Can I ask, who, in your experience of being here in Mall, has made the best tablet that you've tasted? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Margaret Mackay. Okay, right. She was a super cook. Uh-huh. That woman, she really was. Mm-hmm. And where was yes. Margaret uh, along the road? She here? approved. Uh, you were indefinitely. She was in uh, uh, the bungalow on the left-hand side when you go down where... Um, Andy Mayo was. Where Kath's mm-hmm. son and wife there. She was in. They were in that. She and her husband. That's John they'd, from the garage's marriage. They'd there. retired from running the pub. It changed over as I got here. The Howarths took it on from the Mackays and it all sort of rumbled on from there. <laughs> yeah. What was the pub like when you first came here? Was it quite good fun? Um, yes, I mean, it was a village pub. And this is what you want in a village. Yeah. A proper village pub that you went to and you had uh, entertainment in the evening. Well, it was more or less sort of something spontaneous would happen in the evening. Or else you'd get some groups coming, different ones, that from, from round and about that made up the various groups. And it was a good, fun evening. Jimmy and Angus being one of the legendary groups. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know people talk about them with great affection. What, what, what did you think when you first saw Jimmy and Angus? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, difficult to say. <laughs> yeah. Either, uh, yeah. You don't jump to conclusions. <laughs> you must not jump to conclusions. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny people still kind of uh, reference their work, and, and, and actually, um, their uh, some of their songs have ended up on uh, music systems online, like Apple Music and Spotify. You can mm-hmm. find um, the the Dervig Wall and other songs like that as well. And uh, I know if I'm out with friends who grew up here around that time, that the the memories they have of Jimmy and Angus, they'll quote songs and they'll yeah. Yes, of course. It's really a nostalgic thing. So people it's Jeanette have. as well, was it? I didn't know that. Right. Um. Shocking, my memory is really appalling. Well, you're allowed. I think that's, that's fair the enough. The Jeanette popped into my mind and she used to sing, and I think they were sort of westerns. Mm-hmm. And I think it was her husband, Jimmy Milne? Mm-hmm. Yep, Jimmy and Angus Milne, yep, yep. Uh, was she his wife? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. I, may, I may be wrong there. Yeah. But she certainly sang, I'm sure it was her husband that she sang with. And they again would be in the bar. Mm. The, the aim of these podcasts is to talk to people across the island uh, and also a way to find out what life 
is like here because I, I'm fed up with this kind of interpretation that people have of, well, what do you do in the winter? Oh, God. They always said that. Yeah. About the first thing said to you when I moved here. Yeah. Well, the funny thing was that uh, Nelly was quite firmly convinced that I was just here for the summer. Right. And that was it. Right. Which was far from it, but at the end of the year, first season, I went over and was talking to her and that sort of thing. She said, oh, you'll be going home now. I said, well, I am home nearly. Fantastic. Oh, she said. Oh, I was suddenly able to call her Nelly. <laughs> the Miss Sawyer got dropped. How fantastic. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. And when did you first come to the island? I've been here 41 years in November. Goodness me. And I moved here when I was 49. Biggest step I've ever taken in my life. I must have been insane. So you can work out how old I am from that. I will, yes, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's remarkable to, to, to make it. And did you move here on your own? Did you come Yes. Here? Everything sort of went, I don't know. I was working in the bank. I'd done 18 years in the bank and was obviously going to get nowhere. Things were getting worse in the bank. You were not an individual, a person. You were a number. It got to that stage quite literally. And I was so fed up. And we, I used to holiday with friends. And we came up quite a lot to different islands. We started the mainland and started going around. And we started running out of islands. And I said, oh, you know, what about that one, Mull? And, of course, we hit Mull. And, I mean, it's totally insane all those years back. And this is even further years back, long, long before I moved here. You know what Craig Knorr was like at that? Well, you won't remember what Craig Knorr was like at that time. Yes, long before, it was two God. years before I was born, yeah. Yes. Um, oh, my God, there was hardly anything there at yeah. all. And I got off the boat and I said, I'm going to live here one day. Now, that was the impossible thing that couldn't possibly happen. Absolutely impossible. So what was it that made you go, I'm going to live here one day? It was all, I've, I loved Mulwa, from of all the islands that I've been on. I loved this one, I really did, it really hooked me. And things just fell out. Um, my mother died. She was the last living relative that I had. Mm -hmm. And uh, see, I was not terribly happy in the bank. Um, I had a, a breakdown, mm -hmm. a nervous breakdown. <clears throat> I was more or less recovering from that when uh, John, this friend, uh, he'd been ill as well, and his wife said, why don't you two go off somewhere to recoup together? They sort of looked at each other and said, yes, Mal, straight away. And uh, so we came and stayed, and stayed in the village. Um, oh, of course, it's all changed now, the people that were in the houses and that sort of thing. It was uh, it was old Kirsty, the house that uh, she ran as a... A B and B, which is next door to her house, and we stayed there. Mm -hmm. And I idly said, um, "Oh, I don't suppose there's anything for sale in the village." And like, "Oh yes," yeah, she said, "the end cottage." And I said, well, "No, no." I said, "The people in their curtains and that sort of thing." No, no, no. She said, "It's uh, uh, definitely up for sale." So we went and peered through the windows. Couldn't see a thing. Goodness me! But <laughs> um, 
he gave me the, the press of the man who was dealing with it. That's right. It was de- it had been left to his niece, mm-hmm. and he was dealing with it for her. And uh, wrote to him, and he said, "Well, I'm terribly sorry, but I'm afraid that it has been sold for cottage, but we'll keep in touch." And a few weeks later on, I got another letter saying, I see that Hillfoot Cottage is on the market again, enclosing a tiny little cutout from Open Times. Yeah, yeah. So I got straight back onto the solicitor I've been using up here, and uh, Lake Faulkner, and, oh yes, he said, we had the original selling of that house. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> oh. oh, crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sight unseen. I bought it. Wow. <laughs> that's that's remarkable. <laughs> so you... And we went to a final holiday to the Shetlands, because a lot of Shetlands as well have been yeah. there several times. And um, I said, well, I've not seen the cottage or anything like that. I gather it's all fully furnished and whatnot and everything's inside. How about, can we break the journey into Vegas, spend a night there in the cottage and then go on up? Um, which is what we did, and it was the first time. <laughs> I really had qualms. Yeah. I was pulling up outside and stepping out, and I thought, oh, my God. Suppose I open the front door, and I don't like the atmosphere. How did it feel? Wonderful. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. So your first thoughts, you came in the door, were just, this is yes. it. Yes. I thought, oh, my God, what's it going to be like? And, oh, bliss. Perfect. Great. It's mm. a very homely home. It's lovely. It's a, it's a very messy one at the moment, and there's a lot doing to it. But That's there cool. you are. So you you came here. What did you do when you first came to Mull? What was it? What did you do? Um, to I knew I had to earn a living. Yeah. Because uh, okay, I got from the sale of the bungalow, which wasn't all that much, and in those days, it certainly wasn't all that much. Yeah. And that again was another thing. Talk about fast. Put it on the market because houses in Brighton sold in the spring. Yeah. I put it on the market in the autumn, it sold in a fortnight. <laughs> I mean, I was shunted up here, quite literally. Wow. I know two ways about it. Right. Mm. And was it Brighton that was home originally for you? Um, 25 years, 24 years in Brighton. Right. Mm. How did you like Brighton as a town to live in? Um, well, we were just outside, actually, with Dean, okay. which is above the um, stadium, and you were sort of more or less in the country part. It was really nice. But it was getting... You got the different stages again, you see, out of your period. Mods and rockers. Oh, no, that's, that's uh, Quadrophenia. That's exactly <laughs> what takes place in Brighton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they used to come every weekend from London, only an hour from London on the train. Yeah. Or they got the... Um, was it the Mods and Rockers? Had mm-hmm. little mopeds? They did, yeah. That was the Mods and the Rockers, and, yeah. Yes. So were you a and mod or a rocker yourself? Which did you identify? Neither. Ah, you were a banker. <laughs> I was disgusted. Yeah. In Edinburgh, there were tales of the mods and the rockers meeting in the museum. I used to be a warder in the Royal Museum there, and uh, the the one set mods would come in one the back door, and the, mm-hmm. the rockers would come in the front door. Either that, or they'd have and they'd have a big fight at the fish ponds, <laughs> which is uh, a fight. Oh yeah. my god! I had a friend who was. They, um, Wrecked the uh, ballroom. The, the um, Regent Cinema had a sprung ballroom. And he wrecked it. Gosh. Mm. Just kind of brawling. They used to just come down, yes. And then the football team got into the first division and that was the killer. Really? Yes. They came in hordes down from London. The fights and everything. I mean, 
you went, went nowhere within a mile of the stadium when there was a match on. They fought, police were there in force, the horses a lot. Got to the stage where they were meeting the train from London and making them stay on it and turning it round to go back. It's pretty brutal. It got horrendous. Yeah. Really so I, did. I certainly understand the appeal of coming here then. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a contrast. Yeah. I don't know, they're ever going to Saturday night sometimes. But, <laughs> uh. but um, as I said, I do earn a living right. Um, again, that funny thing that fell out was talking in to Nelly and there was this woman sort of behind and fussing about and I came back over and the phone rang a bit later. Oh, this is um, Mrs. Uh, Jensen Richardson, the old buyer. Oh, yes. She was behind me. She'd obviously questioned Nellie about me mm-hmm. and decided presumably that I looked presentable as well. <laughs> um, would I consider working at the old bar of two and a half days a week? And she had me down to interview me. That's great. Did it properly, yeah. yes. But yes, I did the two and a half days. I spent most of those two and a half days making rock buns, would you believe? Mm. Yeah, yeah. A lot <laughs> said, of butter. Can you make cakes? I said, no. Can you make a sponge? I said, no. And one of the women said, oh, it's so, so ridiculous. I'll stand over you. So we did all the mixing and everything, got the sponge all done, bunked it in the oven. She said, right, I'm going into the house to finish off, you know, 20 minutes, take it out. I said, yes. Press the top, it springs up, done. Yeah, I did everything that I should have done. Took it out and pressed the top and looked at it and it looked fine. It went... Oh, no. <laughs> and she, for God's sake, can you make anything? I said, I can make rock buns. And those bloody rock buns. <laughs> I couldn't make enough of them. That's brilliant. People were coming. One man used to come in every afternoon for his tea for rock buns. His nanny used to give him rock buns. Oh. I didn't make a rock bar for years after that. <laughs> I can understand why. Yeah. I know uh, friends, uh, I'm going to talk to Al Morrison uh, later on today, uh, Joy and uh, John's son, and he talks about the old buyer with great affection from his youth. Yes, and, originally, uh, yes. Uh, it was the scone pizza was a great thing. Mm-hmm. And if you'd been out on a Friday night and you'd go to uh, the, the, the old buyer for your breakfast or your brunch and have mm-hmm. a scone pizza for lunch, yes. it would just set you up. It, it was, was good. It was really, really good, yes. But my aim was to run a craft shop. Ah, fantastic. That was what I wanted to do. And did you do that? Yes. Yeah. We're sat in it. Ah. (laughs) Got a photograph somewhere to prove it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see that. Yes. um, I started out just, I left two and a half days at the old bar for a year. I'd vaguely sort of bought stuff on my way round the different islands and that sort of thing, particularly in the Shetlands, but all from uh, single workers, mm-hmm. basically, and f- private, not firms or anything like that. So I'd got a bit to start with. Um, I did make uh, jewellery myself mm-hmm. out of stuff because uh, Tumblestone jewellery, and I knew a bit about that because I had a very checkered career when I think about it. I did work in the jewellers for a time. Uh, where was that? <laughs> uh, that was in Slough, because after my father died, my mother and I moved. Well, she didn't want to, but you know, it happened um, to her brother's house right. in Slough. Mm-hmm. There, and that's where I was there right through the war. It was supposed to be away from the bombing. We were right 
bang in the middle of the bombing because they had a oh place um, where they were turning out all the um, vehicles, um, what do they call it, out on the dump, they called it really. It was just um, big, big factories. I mean, they were aiming for that place every time they came over yeah. bombs at night. And yeah. funnily enough, they didn't get the only place they managed to hit was Woolworths in the main street. Which <laughs> But um, no, we were there until, oh gosh, I must have been about 20, 27, 28, something like that. Because yeah, okay. mm, I was doing various old things. I did uh, photographic colouring. In those days, uh, you didn't have colour film. Yeah. So they were coloured by hand yeah, with stencil. oil paints. Yeah. And yeah, so I did that for time. <laughs> That's fantastic. What was that experience like? Was it enjoyable or was it tedious? Yes, well, lovely. Because yeah. I liked drawing, painting, that sort of thing. So I did a bit of that on the side. And uh, then I got this job in the jewellers. And again, I was learning there because I learned to be an expert pearl stringer, mm. for one thing. How do, what do you, how do you get that right? What, I imagine it's a quite an expensive thing to learn by um, process of Well, error. no, it's all within. Ah. It was a, a big jewellery company, James Walker. I don't think they exist now. Mm-hmm. But um, the manager said to me, you know, would you like to have a go and see? And I said, yes, fine. So he sent me up to London for a, a day. I think it's a shop near the Marble Arch. Mm. And I just spent the day there. And this woman, who was a pearl string herself, Gave me all the basics, showed me what to do and that sort of thing. Came back and practiced, and uh, I did all the pearl stringing then for the branch. I imagine it must be a very difficult skill because you don't want to crack the enamel around it or whatever it's called. Uh, you've so. got to be careful. Yeah, is it you very, very get, fine needles? Uh, um, it's all done uh, on Morris, it's like a silk, but the needles are already in the end of the silk, and you just uh, take them out when you when you tie it off. Right. It's uh, the I did do one very very good one actually one valuable one, which was uh, so much so that the man from the insurance company had to sit behind me while I did it. <laughs> I think really? in case I nicked one of the pearls perhaps or something. Goodness but, me! Mm, wow. Yes, that's quite and an experience. The the job of hand tinting. There can't be many hand tinters of, uh, of photographs left. What what was that like? How was how did you get into that trade? What did they say to you? In Again, it was a friend, and she was running this photographic business, and so many people wanted colour things at their weddings, and also there was another dreadful one because an awful lot of them had photographs of children that had been killed in the war. Yes, yeah, and they'd been kind of blown up a bit and they were a bit not all that brilliant. Yeah. And they wanted them coloured. Yeah. And decently coloured. Yeah. Not bright, garish sort yeah. of colouring and that sort of thing. It was, uh, so you had to kind of make, I guess, you would have had to yes. make the focus kind yes. of sharper by your, by mm. your touch yes. as well. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. That was, again, that was some quite interesting work. Yeah, significant work. But, uh, it was all a bit sad, really. And then you got the wedding ones, of course. Yes. Which were, again. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. um, and uh, coming forward again, so you've you've come to Mull. Uh, you've got two point five days up the road uh, in the old buyer, and you're running the craft shop mm-hmm. here as well. And you've brought crafts from away to sell here as well. Uh, I started locally with local things. Yeah. Yes. And I had to dig people out to get the stuff from. They wouldn't come to me. I had to go to them. 
I'd hear about somebody, you know, and go and someone said, oh no, it's not good enough and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Dear, so I had to coax and persuade and and they had to work out how much they wanted for it and I would say that is not enough and yeah. oh it's far too much and you know it's quite a battle with, battle with some people. Yeah. But um it worked and if I heard of anybody as I say, yeah, I I went and was on the doorstep. I was lucky with the uh enamel work that was um Tony Oh, he was an enamel work, enamel on copper, anyway. And he did um, dishes, enamel dishes, with a certain design on, oh, all sorts of different things, uh, scarf rings, um, table napkins, mm-hmm. bowls, d- different sizes. Mm-hmm. It's basically in that sort of range, small size bowls and bigger ones. Trying to think, was there anything else that he went out into? Uh, yeah, he did occasionally do um, a cheese knife, do the handle, an oh, enamelled handle, yeah. something like that, or a butter knife, something of that sort. And that was my centrepiece in this room. That was all Tony's stuff. And it just flew out of the door. Really did. <laughs> Made me laugh, actually. <laughs> Because he also supplied a shop over in uh, Open. And he said to me one day, I went over to that shop over there, he said, you don't sell a fraction of what a small <laughs> privately run shop smells on the island. Mm. It just didn't go in Open. Mm. But people, wedding presents particularly wanted, you know, yeah. something different. Yeah, totally significant mm. from... Half a dozen table napkins, you know, that sort of thing. And it was... Really, really good. And then Phil was doing his silver out at the farm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had to go out there. He was working in one of the bars. So I had to go out there to get his stuff. What sort of things would Phil do? For What kind of silver work did he do? Again, uh, he was basically, he didn't do chains. He hadn't got a chain-making machine at that Mm -hmm. time. So it was basically rings. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Short brooches. No, I don't think he did. I think it's nearly all. Oh, uh, salt spoons, little things, christening spoons, salt spoons. That's right. Which farm was he at? Um, oh gosh, way out in the forestry. He was right out in the wilds, and I had to go out there. He wasn't coming to me. <laughs> it's really funny. So I used to phone up, you know, and say, you know, have you got any, any more to let me have? And, I come down, look, and see what he got, and say, right, have that, 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 one that, that, that yeah. sort of thing. Hand knitting, of course, I did myself. Right. I mean, that's what I, was, I had to do something sitting here. I couldn't sit and twiddle my thumbs. So I was doing these um, sort of Scandinavian. They were very, very popular at that time. Um, they were knitted on a circular needle. All right, okay. Yeah, and uh, they were very stretchy because they hadn't got seams. Ah. It's a circular needle, good way around, circular needle for the sleeves and everything, because they're going to stretch yeah. when they're washed. Okay. So you had to warn people, you know, so if you take a size 18 by a size 16, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. But I just sat and knitted them. I had a big sofa along here, right. which was all knitwear. I think as soon as I put one on the, on the sofa, it sold. <laughs> Fantastic. It went so quickly. Yeah. Are mm. you also... Um, do you you ran offered another service here? Is that right as well? Uh, 
for My Little Theatre. Yeah. What, what was your involvement with My Little Theatre? <laughs> Quite a lot, actually. <laughs> well, it was when things were going a bit iffy and all the rest of it, and David stepped in. He said that he would continue it to keep it keep it going, otherwise it would have gone dark, yes. and that would have been it. So actually, I mean, he wrote the plays for it. Yes. He played on the stage himself, and uh, I was anyway. We used to go over there and have a coffee. I didn't open until ten o'clock. There weren't many people around before then, so I go over and have a coffee and chatting at different times and saying about it and saying about. Uh, um, booking the booking office and that sort of thing. I said, well, I suppose, anyway, logically, it'd be quite a good thing for me to do because I'm there all the time, you know, yeah. sort of virtually 24 hours a day and that sort of thing. So that's how that came about, obviously, box office. Then it was difficult to find people to do front of house. Uh, right. So I wound up with front of house for a couple of days. I wound up doing front of house for 16 a week. I used to go in at about 7 in the evening. We opened, what, doors opened at 8, yeah, that'd be about right. Um, about 7 in the evening and clean the theatre. Yeah. Either that or I cleaned it at night yeah. after everybody had gone. So I cleaned the blinking place. Yeah. <laughs> so all the people in yeah. fed them their coffee. The rest of it did. We were washing up quietly, so nobody could hear. And, uh, mm. and uh, yes, and at odd times I was also dragged in by various people to do stage manager. It was nearly, I was so frightened it nearly finished me off. That's brilliant. <laughs> wow. Do you remember any of the productions oh, that you God, stage managed? Well, I can't remember the names of the people even of the production. <laughs> the two women used to come. Uh-huh. Quite regularly, uh, two women and a man. That's right, and performed for a week. And they did these little plays. Well, the woman and the man turned up and said, "Oh, um, so and so and so, they can't make it." Um, uh, I was actually told that I would be stage managing in the background, putting on their tapes and things, yeah. and stopping and starting them where they wanted them. And they died of fright. A stressful job. God almighty. <laughs> oh, and particularly, you know, when it was all bunged up at the back, you couldn't really see anything or anything like that. Oh, God almighty. Anyway, I did it. <sighs> but I also did it for, um, he lived down at Calgary. Oh, um, one of the semi detached cottages. He had Dave, wife and Dave, Dave Ritchie. Fran- Dave Ritchie. Ritchie. He wrote, uh, what was it, the parkey he called it. He was supposed to be a park keeper and talking about his job and that sort of thing. So I was plunked in the back there with these tapes and the lights, which had to go up and down at certain times. And I did it <laughs> because of him, but I wouldn't have done otherwise. But um, it was interesting, let's put it that way. <laughs> I loved it. I really did. No, it's a, a significant thing. I think the theatre um, 
it was a very, very interesting idea altogether. And I'm hopefully going to talk to the Hesketh family at some point as well about how it came to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, have so you got their book, his book? I do, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, because I have got it over there. Yeah, I think yes. it's Breaking Out, I think it's called, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Taking Off, Taking Off. Yes, um, we've also got the Dromard cookbook, which was there. Uh, mine has disappeared. Ah. I did have it, I know where it is, but I loved it because I was... <laughs> Yeah. Well, she came and said, take it to the baked beans. <laughs> I mean, it's all stuff like that yeah, that they were practical. feeding their B&Bs. Yeah. Yeah. Makes mm. sense to me. Basic, simple. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fab. Yes. Nice. I talked to Richard, their son, quite a lot. Yes. Very interesting. And um, names again, the middle son. Nick. Nick. I'm still in touch with him, of course. Phenomenally talented artist. Yeah. Extraordinary. Well, yeah. his <laughs> wonderful stuff. They did, uh, they did. They did Macbeth, of right. course. And uh, Barry and Marianne used to go off on tour in the winter, of course. Yes. So once again, Zelda, you're there all the time, sort of thing. Would you pick up our post? I'll leave envelopes and you can send it on for us. Okay, fine. Did so. Frantic phone call. Zelda, Zelda. Um, Land Rover's broken down. We've got to have the, um, I don't know what it was, some license for it or whatever it was. Um, go in the house, uh, hold back the curtain because they got the big room was divided with a heavy curtain yeah which divided off pull that curtain in the desk on the right hand side you'll find this whatever it is i said yes yeah, fine barry toddled up in the evening i would go in the evening wouldn't i and uh, i went there and i whipped this curtain back and i nearly had a heart attack there was this crone sitting in the chair looking at me the lady macbeth <laughs> nick of course made them yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Talk about that. Oh, I said to Barry, you nearly killed me. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yes, it was, of course, something to the Macbeth one because uh, Nick made all the um, heads and things for them. And that was so clever. I mean, they were all in blacks. Yeah. And it was just the heads and hands and that sort of thing. It was uh, fantastic. It really was. All their stuff was so good, and they were so. Yeah. I used to. Well, first of all, when I first went there, I went so often. Marianne used to giggle me on the phone, and I phoned and said, "Oh, not you again!" <laughs> yes, please. She said, well, there's one thing. She said, "We'll always be able to use you as prompt. You know the lines better than we do." <laughs> That's lovely. Were there any particular productions apart from the Macbeth that stood out there at all? Um, I don't know. So many different ones and they were so different in each one that was the funny part yeah. and they would say themselves um one was marianne's play and yeah. barry was very much sort of in the background and then it went the other way round and i don't know they would do they did one funny one which went through generations about four generations they started out as a, a young couple and they ended up as an old couple i think it was the four poster oh, okay. i seem to remember that and they were saying they were find, finding it uh, it varied as they got older. Yeah. <laughs> the first one they found very nice and easy and that sort of thing. The older ones and the really old ones, difficult. But by the time they got to the age that they were, they were the young one was the difficult one. The older one was the easy one. <laughs> it was, yes, it was a four-poster, that's right. How have 
you seen the village change? How, what over the, the years and the, the forty years you've been here? Oh, it is so different. What is it that's that you, that's different about the place? Do you feel? What 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 defines? There are so few of the people that we, and of course they're all died. Yeah. I know it's shocking, honestly, when I look all around and I think, oh yes, there's someone's. Oh no, there isn't. And there are so many people missing now, and more and more. As yeah. I get older, yeah. the Scots were lovely because as soon as I think they realised that I, like Nelly, was going to be here yes. permanently yeah. and not take from the island, take from them and then go off yeah. and spend it and come back again and gather it all in again, and they realised what I was doing yeah. and that I was helping local people. And uh, to my astonishment, I was accepted. That's brilliant. It's cool. If it's okay to step back, and it would do say if you're a bit tired as well, then you know, yeah, then. Um, curious to know about um, your own family. Like, what your your parents? Where where did they come from? What's their story? Um, my father and my mother. Um, I don't know the actual origins of my father. I knew his uh, elder sister, younger sister, mm-hmm. and he had two sons mm-hmm. and uh, my father my mother grandfather oh, I never knew uh, he was a lot older than grandmother it was one of those things it was a love match she fell in love with him and he was a lot older than she was and he had two virtually grown up sons and the family were you know mm-hmm. very much anti and that sort of thing but she married him anyway, <laughs> because she loved him. And um, she had one, two, three children with him. My mother, Ivy, Violet's the middle child who got polio, and in those days that was the kiss of death, of course. Yeah. And uh, the youngest son, Noel. Um, I can't go far back on, well, on the... Yeah, on the Harston side, it does go back into the dim, dark ages and back to Black Prince's father or something. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me that from that side, I'm afraid, at all. And my father, I'm quite sure, doesn't go that far back. Well, <laughs> we all go back to... But, as, um, someone said, we all come from a line of very fertile women. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite good. But uh, anyway... Um, Mother married my father in the face of opposition, but she married him. Anyway, they got this mad idea. After the 1418 war, they had evidently a big exhibition somewhere in London. Yes. And all these wonders. If you went out to Australia, you'd make a fortune, you know. Yes. And all this, that and the other, and sold it like mad. And you went out and you were taught to do all your different things. Well, of course, they got hooked on it. What did they do? Went out to Australia... Eight years out there, lost every penny. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, his brother-in-law took his sister and the two sisters, that's right, out and himself. And he lost his money, his sister's money, his sister-in-law's money. Oh, they went to a slightly different part of Australia. They were on the edge of the desert and where my parents were. I don't know. It was Shepparton was... Well, I was born Shepherd in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Melbourne was the nearest city, but it was a good long way away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, 
What did they do? What, what? So, uh, farming, right. but uh, the land was condemned, they discovered. After that. Wheat had been grown on it, mm-hmm. and nothing would ever really grow. It was supposed to be fruit farming. Um, my father put up God knows how many miles of fencing, um, planted God knows how many fruit trees. You had to have something that had a herd of uh, Jersey cows, Yes. Uh, some sheep, some pigs. Uh, the cows, the only money that they got actually uh, was from the cream, from the milk which was collected every week. And that was literally the only income they had. Mother came home early because grandmother wanted to see me. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. I'm for one, she wanted to see me. But uh, anyway, she sent the fare for myself and mother, not from my father, of course, who was in disgrace. And uh, it was a year before he was able to get out of the country and come back. He was living on the same road as my mother and I in lodgings further down the road. Gosh. <laughs> different times. Yeah. And then it was different sort of... He was a civil engineer, but uh, he just had to take sort of whatever he could, quite honestly. Well, he was uh, 49 when he died. Oh, gosh. Um, so young. Just a monumental heart attack. That was it. Oh, he died while my mother was in hospital, having a major operation. And the younger brother stepped in. Wartime, this, of course, yeah. at that time. And uh, took over, and mother was in no fit state to deal with anything. So he dealt with everything and sold everything and this, that and the other. And, and all the furniture in the house and every teaspoon and you name it that you have in a house was sold for £100. Well, OK, £100 wasn't inconsiderable in those days, but it was not the value. The whole furnishings of the house. In fact, the man that bought it, he bought it for his son who was getting married and he asked my mother if her brother was in his right mind. <laughs> oh dear, that must have been so upsetting. Yeah. Mm. How how was Slough in those days? <laughs> Pretty awful. <laughs> right. So, uh, one, just one long street, yeah. street of shops. And that was it. Right. You're not too far from winter there, though, which is nice. No, and... Um, and Reading's just around the corner. It was well. brilliant, actually. Um, I could walk across the playing fields to Eton <sighs> <laughs> quite easily. And uh, you had the Green Line coaches ran every quarter of an hour. And it was an hour to London itself. That was to Kensington. And, oh, God. I think something like one and nine return or something like that. <laughs> and what you could do for five shillings was <laughs> incredible. Yeah. You used to go, you know, and sort of have uh, tea, Derry and Tom's roof garden. Very nice. Yes. And uh, then go to the cinema. And I think for the one and nine or something was like that, you're you right remember, in the front row. Anything you remember seeing in the cinema at that time that really left <laughs> a mark? Not really. Oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh dear. Who were the characters in the village when you came here? Oh Do you remember? Are there any people? They've all gone. Who <laughs> indeed, yeah. Was Katie Horse still here? Katie Horse is still alive, yes. What was she like? In that cottage. I didn't see much of her, quite honestly, because she was, uh, well, I suppose it'd be like 
carers. I don't know when nurses or anything like that that were yeah. looking after her. It's just different, odd people. And I really didn't see much of her at all because she was sort of permanently in bed and she was blind and, right, okay. you know, sort of... Uh, the kids used to stir her up. As you could hear her shouting sometimes as the boys used to play football on the street and they'd kick it up to the gable end oh, no. of the cottage and they were constantly bang, bang, banging. That would be very nice. Yes. I stopped that one and I heard the metallic bang as they hit my car. <laughs> yes. I don't think your father would be very pleased. <laughs> yeah. But um, Nellie, of course, has always been the character. Very much so. Can you see a little bit about Nelly at all? Um, were you going to get your paper or something like that? And there was a, a proper phone box in the shop. Huh? A proper phone box. There was a door and that sort of thing. Yeah. And Nelly was almost permanently in it. I don't know who she was phoning. Whether it was her fiancé. Oh, I see. Oh, she had a fiancé, yes. yes. But, I mean, it would be rumbling on for God knows how many right. years. It was never going to happen, but it was one of those. I suppose he was in North Uist, perhaps, where she came from. Ah, right. Yes, I'd heard that. Right, OK. Mm. Yes, and he used to come and stay uh -huh. occasionally. But, uh, oh dear, oh dear, that shop. <laughs> Can you describe it? Because, to me, Nelly, there's... The, I know of Nellie's sheds that which are still across the road oh, there, gosh, and they're filled yes. with things like Fergusade and things like that. What, and you look in the rotting window. away in there? Yeah. One of those electric car things, the first ones that came out. Sinclair still C be in there. Yeah, Sinclair C three. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. What um, what, what was Nellie's shop like? Was it the shop itself was pretty bare actually? You went in. There was on the right hand side there was a a counter because mm -hmm. um, she was post office as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. And the post office bit was the first bit that's it and then further on was the uh, more of the sort of business bit she never seemed to have an awful lot <laughs> in the shop right and she had this great big freezer which was under the window yeah uh, on the yes looking that way and uh I rather foolishly lifted the lid up and peered in one day and put it down rather rapidly <laughs> it was floating in the bottom <laughs> Ugh. It was a wash. <laughs> That's not what you want. And she was, she was lovely with the kids. She yeah. gave them sweets and all the rest of it, you know, that sort of thing. And yeah. uh, she tried to be helpful because um, I. Oh, there's another thing, of course, when you come to something like having lived in small villages, I knew what you did when you came here. You joined. Yes. As the women WI. Yeah. And the guild. Yeah. And I joined both, and of course got. Heavily involved, innocently, I became secretary of both of them. They manoeuvre me into that one beautifully. Uh, but uh, I had to get the, every year the Christmas dinner for the pensioners. Oh yes, yeah. Was held in the hut here. Yes. Or the and church hall. The church right, hall, yeah. and I had to find out who was a pensioner and who was not a pensioner. So I thought, oh, nearly ought to know that. So I went and asked Nellie, and uh, she dutifully came forth with something else, which I think she gave the list to Fran, actually, Fran Nichols. Tony Nichols was the one that did the enamel, uh, Fran and Tony. And she was uh, president of the 
WI. And uh, Fran said, you know what Nelly's given me? He said, every pensioner, even the the war pensioners and all that sort yeah. of thing, you know, not the, just the 60-year-olds, everybody yes. was getting a pension at all. So, oh dear, I had to sort that one out. But that was a Christmas thing and uh, it was combined, the Guild and the WI, and the money combined, and every pensioner got something. Uh, the women got a sack of coal. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Very useful. A coal merchant was told, you know, who to leave the sack for. That's brilliant. Yes. And the men got cigarettes, as a rule. I'm not quite sure what happened to the non-smokers. <laughs> Whether they got something a little liquid, they might have yeah. done. But it was, yes. It was. Right. And Jack Robertson, that was the house at the far end on the left-hand side. Yes. Um, he grew carna- uh, carnations, orchids, Ooh, wow. down at Calgary. Nice. He had a house down there, uh-huh. and he grew most beautiful orchids. And he used to come each year with this great big tray with all the orchids That's for everybody Christmas. Were they grown in greenhouses, or were they grown? I think they must have been. Wow. Oh, yes, he must have had special, you know, yeah. things. And obviously the, the house, presumably, was... Uh, Built perhaps to suit him, I, I just don't know. I mean, he owned both houses. Quite something. Yeah. That was, you know, that was a lovely thing that used to happen. Wild orchids. Each Christmas. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. That's, that's special. And uh, is there anyone else that sort of sticks out? Um, oh, the last house on this side of the street. Oh, Murak, uh, Bob Do. Yes, um, his mother. Oh, uh, Alice was, and her husband, Bobette. husband Bobette. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the husband was alive at that mm. time as well. Bobette had a beautiful singing voice. Really? Yes. Yes, she should have been trained, really. It was unfortunate you couldn't stop her once she started. <laughs> but uh, she did have a beautiful singing voice. Yeah. Oh, yes. With him, every day, <laughs> he'd go up to the pub with the old dog trailing behind. And then, round about lunchtime... Alice would be going up to the pub as well and he would come back practically dragged by his ear down the street. It's a a historical thing. Oh dear. And um, Kirsty, old Kirsty, she was in at that time. She and Willie were supposed to be engaged. Willie was on the other side of the road, where the new cottages are, of course. Oh, right, okay. His cottage was there. Right. Uh, he told me that he remembered my cottage as being the last one in the village with an earthen floor. In a way, I can believe it, because it's a cement floor that I've wound yeah. up with. But he said he could remember that. Um, wow. But he used to spend all day over in Kirsty's cottage. And she fed him and all the rest of it, and then he'd toddle off back over the way to his cottage. But Men. he, well, he was engaged to her evidently at the beginning of the war, and then he went off and right. met somebody else. <clears throat> she was in the land army yeah. during the war, right. and then he comes back and lands himself. And he was a character again. So was his old dog. He used to lie in the middle of the road like a shaggy rug. Mm. And traffic had to go round it. 
Where, which, which houses were, were Willie and Kirsty in? Was that? Uh, Kirsty was in her own on this side. Right. Um, the house that um, Kath is in. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, that was the one that was let out. That's the one we stayed in, actually, uh-huh. on holiday. Uh, the one that was adjoining that was old Kirsty's. Right. Yes. And Willie was opposite, as I say, he's gone okay. now because the, the new house is there. Places are there. Um, so the, the one thing I wanted to ask you about uh, about contemporary life and what the role of the carers here mean to you because my own mother-in-law Jackie she has the carers yes, three times a day and it's made such a difference to yes. her life they're just brilliant they really... I'm so glad they started I wondered when they would I thought she was due to have them yeah. <clears throat> It's what difference do they make to your life? a tremendous amount of difference um, later on, they're going to make more, obviously, yeah. because I am lucky and they are lucky because they don't have to spend much time with me. I can do most things myself. Yeah. This is the thing I can do, yeah. cooking and look after myself, basically. It's fantastic. Just sort of odd times. So they're in four times a day. Okay, they get me up in the morning. Yeah. That's the sort of main one. At any time between 9 and 9.30, I suppose to have an hour okay. then. Uh, lunchtime, they come in, mm-hmm. then they come in again, they'll be in at about half past five, so not long from something that. like that. Yeah. Again, uh, that's supposed to be your main meal. Yes. And the other main one is in the evening, uh, going to bed, which annoys me intensely because I used to go to bed at about 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, totally. I'm in bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> well, you okay. can't help it. No. They've got so much to do, they're so pushed. That's true. They really are. But they are absolutely super. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be around here. And if it wasn't for Anne Evans, I wouldn't be here. She has been incredible, that woman. Can you say what Anne's done? What, what, what's Anne's role in the community, if that's She's okay? pushed and pushed and pushed for everything. She was determined to get me back here. Because the problem was, um, after the second amputation, I was sent back to Oban. And where do you put me? Because they're not doing anything for me. Yeah. They're not treating me in any way no, whatsoever. So what do I wind up? Age, geriatric ward. Well, the nurses were quite glad to have me, actually. Yeah, because when they started got no, when they started getting up and wandering around the ward, I was on the bus and they, they could come in and sort, sort them out. No, the nurses were lovely. We had fun. We laughed, joking about makeup, age and all that sort of thing. <laughs> It was great. Well, Zelda, thank you so much for your time. That's been us chatting for over well over an hour. Oh, God. And, uh, so thank you so much. Um, that's just lovely. And, uh, well, I don't know whether I've been any help or not. Well, you certainly have. <laughs> Blithering on. Thank you again, Zelda. It was just wonderful to spend time with you. During the podcast, you'll have noticed the odd wee growl and meow. That was my dog Ripley, and Zelda's cat, Pan Pan. Zelda's very fond of spaniels, so Ripley kept us company as we chatted. Please excuse me if you hear the noise uh, in the background. I'm now on the Bernary to Harris Ferry, so uh, I thought I'd give you a flavour of travelling between the islands at the moment. This week's been a lot of fun. I've been working my way up the Hebrides delivering some teacher training sessions on different ways to use film in the classroom. Bara was wonderful. 
I stayed in Tynamara in Castle Bay. The weather closed in on us and I had to stay an extra day, which I'm happy to say was no hardship whatsoever. I got to Eriski on the boat on Thursday morning and made my way up across the causeway to South Uist, where I stayed the night at the Polachar Inn that night. That was very comfortable and I was lulled to sleep by the sound of the wind roaring outside my nice warm bedroom. On the ferry across in the morning at 7.15am, I met a very interesting man from Barra and we chatted about shellfish. He was telling me how spooties, or razor clams, come up with a full moon early in the morning and that you can harvest them there and then, as easily as you like. When I was wee, I remember talking to my gran when I was playing down the shore at Port Riddle on the front of Dunoon and I asked her about limpets and if she, if she ever um, ate any when she was growing up. She said that they were, they were only eaten when times got bad. They were so tough that they just weren't nice to eat. The fellow in the boat was raving about them and how, if you put them on the top of a range, they would bubble away like nobody's business and be quite a treat. So that was interesting to hear another take on such things. I spent yesterday in North Uist, where I stayed at the Redburn guesthouse, which was fantastic if you're looking for somewhere to stay, very, very reasonable. I met Andy McKinnon of Teichershiva there, the local arts centre. Andy mentioned his upcoming project, Fertal, or Found, which looks to find old film and video of the communities of the Western Isles and digitise them. So if you've got some Super 8 languishing in the attic or an old VHS with stuff in, the, in your attic and you live in the Western Isles, Andy would love to hear from you. And if you're from Mull, well, I'd love to hear from you. I'll put a link to Andy's project page on the webpage for this episode. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee or even a flat sausage roll, whenever you may be, through the website. You'll see a donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. But don't worry if you can't or you don't want to. I'd much rather you listen than you didn't. If you want to leave a rating or review on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast, please feel free. The more there are, the more traction it gathers and the more people can listen. And on that note, thank you to Richard, Jonathan and the anonymous donor for your donations. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you as ever to all of you who reach out and say hello. It's brilliant to hear how you're listening to the podcast, whether that be in a bustling Asian metropolis, walking across Southwark Bridge, or even just whilst out walking the dog. It's just great to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More than time. Shinoo.